0: Episode number 139, Using Chickens in the Garden. 13 things you need to know first in order to do this successfully. And not only to do it successfully, but really, truly, honestly, to save you and your chickens a whole lot of heartache and frustration. Here on our homestead, our goal is to use both our crops and our animals as a compliment to one another in any way, shape, or form. But if you have ever dealt with free-ranging chickens and or had your crops or plants destroyed by these said free-ranging darlings, you know that, that it's not as easy as it seems. So today... I am interviewing Lisa Steele from Fresh Eggs Daily for tips to keep your chickens safe when they're free ranging. But we also go into a lot more of that how to get the maximum benefit from the chickens in your garden while still getting to keep your vegetables. Now, I have to say, you are in for a treat with this interview. And this is a brand new series that I am kicking off that's going to go for about the next seven weeks where I'm bringing in homesteading experts or other homesteaders who are doing things that we can all really learn from, myself included. Because no matter where we are at on our homesteading journey, there is always more to learn from others who are walking and living out this lifestyle. And I have a very, very special huge actually event coming up that you all are going to be invited to totally for free and completely online. So there's no travel involved so that everybody can come. So I'm just giving you a tease and a little hint that there is some really awesome stuff coming down the line. You will hear more about it here on the Pioneering Today podcast as well as my email list. So if you are not getting emails from me that let you know when the new episodes are up or other blog articles, other resources, you need to get on the list, you guys, because you get exclusive stuff, first invite. Make sure you don't miss anything when you're on that email list. So if you're not on it, get you behind over to the website, listknorris.com and sign up. Now, Lisa and I are going to be talking about a lot of things. So if you want to check out links resources, different things like that. Remember, you can always grab those on the website with the blog post that accompanies every single episode. And this one specifically will be at com slash 139 because this is episode number 139. Okay, you're in for a treat. Let's shoot straight to my interview with Lisa. I am so excited for today's guest. She has been on the podcast before, and I absolutely adore following her. In fact, I have to say, I'm a little bit envious of her chicken's coop because it is just so gorgeous. Welcome, Miss Lisa Steele from Fresh Eggs Daily, back to the Pioneering Today podcast.
1: Hi, Melissa. I am so glad. I did love chatting with you last time. I don't remember exactly what we talked about, but I do know that it was a fun podcast the last time too.
0: Yeah, we were talking about raising chickens and ducks, what was the best breeds and doing it pioneer style. So we talked a lot about not using heat in the coop and picking breeds for your climate and that kind of thing so that they were just naturally acclimated, which was really fun. But it was like almost two years ago. Today I really wanted to talk to you about I'm fascinated by this subject because I've actually had some failures in this area. I've learned from those mistakes, but I'd love to save some other people some of those mistakes. And then just to shorten that learning curve for everybody, because one of the things that we love with our homestead and raising our animals is most people who are raising livestock or chickens for daily aids, we're also gardening and we're wanting to make sure that we're using organic and natural methods in all area of our homes and our gardens. And we're raising our own food. So using chickens not just for their eggs and for the fun of having the flock but also using them on your land and in your garden to making everything come full circle and to complement one another you actually have a book out about this topic right
1: I do I wrote Gardening with Chickens that came out last year like you said it was kind of the result of years of failures and the chickens just roaming around kind of willy-nilly and eating everything. And finally, I got kind of annoyed because I wanted them to roam around and eat bugs and fertilize our lawn and everything, but I also wanted to grow a garden. And fencing is expensive, and I thought there has to be a way that we can all just kind of live in harmony. So I started trying different things, and through trial and error, I kind of came up with a system that worked, and I decided that I needed to write a book about it so everybody could kind of incorporate it into their chicken keeping and trying to also encourage more gardeners to start raising chickens and more chicken keepers to start gardening because they do go hand in hand like you said
0: awesome i will tell you my first major failure is we decided that we were going to have the chickens just completely free range and then they just go in the coop at night which worked okay for a short period of time one, we're very, very rural. So even during the day, we will have coyotes and we have eagles and hawks and different predators. And even during the day, like I would actually be out in our backyard and I was putting clothes out on the line. And then our chickens are just right across the fence, which comes up to our backyard. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. I was putting clothes out on the line and I look over and there is a coyote in between me and my chickens who are free ranging. And you would have done I don't know what I thought I was going to do to the coyote, but I just start running like instinct, like I'm going to go and protect my chickens, right? And I just start running at this coyote, yelling at it to get away. And this coyote (laughs) just stared at me in shock that someone's coming at it and yelling, but it just stood there and stared at me and I just kept running at it. I was like in full mama mode. And I got within about literally 10 feet of the coyote before it finally turned tail and ran. And I don't know what I would have done if I'd have got all the way up to it and it wouldn't have ran. I didn't have anything in my (laughs) hands. I'm sure if anybody had been watching, there was a fly on the wall or the neighbors. It was quite a sight. So he did finally turn tail and run. But that's when I realized that having, even with me at home during the day, that the chickens needed a little bit more protection. So we started using a chicken tractor and doing some chicken runs. But on the flip side, when I did have my chickens free ranging, they loved to burrow into my raspberries and they exposed all of the roots and almost killed them. They didn't bother my blueberries or my other fruit trees. They really just liked the root system of the raspberries and they didn't eat the raspberries either, which was quite interesting. But they loved to create a dust back there. And so being that almost killed them, I'm like, oh my goodness, I've got to figure out different system, which you've had. I'm so glad that I'm not alone because I thought, man, it just must be me that I don't know how to keep these chickens free ranging without (laughs) getting into all my (laughs) stuff. So tell me your best tips or overall strategy on how to marry our chickens and still be able to keep our crops and to keep the chickens safe. What's the strategy that you use?
1: Good point about the predators. I generally don't let my chickens out of their run until the afternoon. It seems like in the morning, the predator is more active. You know, everyone's hungry. They're looking for their food. You see a lot more hawks. And then by afternoon, it seems like everybody's had their meal for the day and they move on. So trying just in the afternoon to free range them, I find works a lot better. Plus, then they put themselves to bed in the coop at dusk so you don't have to worry about rounding them up or anything. So that's one strategy that works. It also kind of minimizes the time that they're out roaming around and finding your garden, your plants and stuff. But for the raspberries, what you want to do is put something around the roots, around the base of the plants. Chickens love to scratch up roots. I think that's where worms and stuff hang out. So they really go for the roots of your plants and shrubs and bushes. So if you put bricks or pavers or large stones or just something around the root system, that will really protect any bushes that you really don't want them to kill because they will, like you said, they'll literally dig up shrubs on you. And just kill them. I had some mulch.
0: It was not necessarily sawdust. It was bigger than that. It wasn't as fine as sawdust around the bottom. They just had a blast. They just kind of went haywire in there and made some great little nests. So I did use on our blueberries, which were next to them. I had some netting that was over the blueberries. And I think that draped down far enough that kept them away from the blueberries. But yeah, having some stones or some other, basically putting up some type of barrier it's going to be the best bet, it sounds like, for keeping them out of the roots of your perennial bushes and fruit right. plants and that type of thing.
1: Bird netting can help too, though, obviously, because that helps against the wild birds too. And chickens will eat blueberries and raspberries, and I guess they were too busy with the roots, but they will eat your berries too, <laughs> usually. So.
0: Yes, I think they were just going hog wild. They didn't want to eat the berries, which surprised me, because they ate all of my strawberries instead. <laughs> they must have got full. with the gardening and your chickens do you use the chickens in your regular annual summer vegetable garden
1: so no not in the summer garden well first of all our vegetable garden is fenced off it's actually I planted it inside it's almost like a chain link dog kennel kind of thing and that's mostly to keep the wild birds the raccoons we have a lot of things that like to eat our garden so that keeps everybody out But I will let the chickens in the spring and the fall. They are great on the off season. In the fall, they'll clean up anything that's left over. They'll eat a lot of the leaves, your sweet potatoes, or like you said, your strawberries, or anything that you haven't picked or you've left because it's you know full of bugs or whatever. They'll also start turning the soil over, so they'll get some of that stocky kind of leftover into the soil where it can decompose over the winter. Plus, as they walk around, they poop. So they're fertilizing the soil as well. So I like to use them in the fall cleanup. And then in the spring, before you plant your crops, when you're in there, just kind of, you know, getting rid of any rocks that might've gotten pushed up because of frost heaves or or pulling weeds, they are wonderful. They'll eat any bugs that overwintered, they'll eat bug larva, they will help you with weed seeds. And again, they kind of till the soil, like you talked about getting away from using maybe a rototiller, and some people don't want to do that because it's not really great for soil structure. But the chickens are a lot easier on the, the soil, and they just kind of turn over the top few inches for you, loosen the soil, and like I said, get rid of the, the weed seeds and bugs and things, which is pretty nice. So they're good little off-season garden helpers, and then I keep them out of the garden during the growing season.
0: Okay. And we have a vegetable garden fenced as well for very similar reasons as you shared. We have deer that come through here and we also raise cattle and pigs. And so oftentimes if we hope that they never get out, but let me tell you, if you've ever had livestock, they will get out <laughs> at the most inopportune times. <laughs> so we keep that fenced as well, just to keep it, it protected. And I love the idea of using the chickens actually in the garden, but as you shared not when they're actually growing because they do not have any discernment. I mean, they love the fresh fruits and vegetables as much as we do. One of the things that we did in using your livestock to your advantage is we extended the end of our vegetable garden. We needed to make it bigger a couple of years ago and we get pigs in the springtime. And so when the piglets were small and little, I wanted them close to the house so I could keep an eye on them. We also fenced them into the area of the lawn that we were going to extend our vegetable garden in, and they rooted it up for us because it was just regular lawn, very similar to pasture, and pigs are good rooters. That in the spring, one of the questions I have for you, because chicken manure is very high in nitrogen, and oftentimes if you put fresh chicken manure that's not had a chance to compost down just fresh and then you go ahead and plant your crops it can sometimes burn the roots or burn the plants because the nitrogen level is so hot so in the springtime when you put them in do you have a time period where you do it so many days before you actually plant or is it because there's a relatively small amount because the chickens aren't in there you're not shoveling wheelbarrow foals on the garden it's just (laughs) them going through do you have any issues at all with nitrogen or has it always been fine
1: No, it's been fine. I mean, that's that's a really good point. And any animal manure, there's also pathogens you have to worry about, E. coli, salmonella, things like that. So really, rule of thumb, you should not use fresh manure on your garden. When they're in the garden in the spring, like you said, it's such a minuscule amount. If you really were concerned, you could go afterwards and rake up after them. But I don't really worry. I mean, you're planting your seeds at that point. You're not letting them in an active garden. So even by the time your plants start to come up, the nitrogen is going to have dissipated a little bit. In the fall, though, like when I clean my coop out after the summer, all the straw, chicken feathers, chicken manure goes right over the garden as mulch, you know, so it keeps the weed down. And then that has the entire winter to let it just sit there. And, and by the spring, then those levels, because there's a lot more manure in that than there would be in just a few random chickens roaming around the garden.
0: I was just kind of curious on that part. And that's the method that we use too is in the fall. That's when I try to put all of the manure and mulch, you know, whatever I'm using from the pins and from the cattle and cleaning up different areas of the yard and stuff, because it does work so wonderful. I feel like when I do it, I'm like, it's almost like I'm getting free labor. Cause all I'm doing is dumping everything on there. And then nature just takes its course and breaks it down for me over the winter months. And I could tend to be, if I can find a, a lazy route, so to speak, <laughs> I'm totally going to take it.
1: <laughs> well, and that's what farmers and homesteaders have always done. I mean, it amazes me how many people ask me what to do with, you know, so a lot of people clean their runs too, which, I mean, that's a little much. I don't do that. But a lot of people actually rake their runs out. And so they have all this this chicken manure and they just like throw it in the woods. And I'm thinking, why? <laughs> Start a garden. I mean, people pay good money for livestock manure. You've got it free and available, you know, and it, it really is wonderful. I mean, we used to have horses and we used the horse manure in the garden as well. If you worry about it, you could always compost it. You know, you could go from the coop or the, the pasture or whatever to a compost pile and then let that sit for like six months to a year and then start using it. You know, if you are concerned about sanitary pathogens and all that and the nitrogen.
0: Yes, very true. Because your compost pile, when done properly, is going to heat up hot enough and you can put different thermometer probes and stuff in there if you're really concerned about it that will kill the harm. Pathogens and then you can put it on your right. garden. Two is making sure the manure that we use is from, of course, it's coming from our own livestock, and we only feed organic feed if we're feeding it. It grass-fed, our cattle is all grass-fed. The chickens get scraps from the garden. And then when I'm supplementing with regular feed, I make sure that it's all organic and certified non-GMO and that type of thing. Because I also don't want manure from livestock that's been fed a lot of commercial feed that could have pesticides and then putting that into my garden as well. When I know that my animals are healthy, I mean even healthy animals, you're still going to have pathogens because it right. is species. There's exactly. still but but knowing right, but knowing that and so we're just like you, we put that down in the fall so it has that whole winter um, and those months to break down. I will find the exact link. I have the information, just not at the top of my head. So in the show notes, you guys, when you guys are listening to this, I will put the link, but there are specific amount of days that if you're concerned that you should be waiting when you put any type of manure down as fertilizer in the garden and that versus when you are going to be eating your root crops and then you're above the ground crops, how many days should pass before you need to really be concerned or before you should start eating those crops. I believe it's like 60 and 90 days. It's actually a relatively short period of time, but that's when you're really putting down a a lot of manure. And, you know, like as Lisa said, in the springtime, you're going to do that for a short period of time and it's going to go in and then you're going to plant your crops, but you're going to be having that period from when you're actually planting to when you're harvesting. And usually it's far enough away that you don't have to worry about it. But for anybody that is concerned, I'll make sure and put that for you in the show notes too
1: yeah that's good and obviously you should always wash produce even from your own garden i mean we wash things from the grocery store because you worry about maybe pesticide residue or you know other people at the store like touching your stuff or whatever i mean but you you should really wash what you're picking out of your own garden as well just to be safe if you are using the homegrown manure fertilizer on it
0: yes completely agree always rinse mine off too as well and then with the chickens, letting them do fall cleanup, which I love, and then even in the springtime kind of going in there, is there any crops that if you've got them planted in your vegetable garden or just around in your yard or your homestead, are there any crops that you need to make sure that you keep the chickens away from because it could be harmful to them if they eat it or they kind of instinctively know that they shouldn't eat certain things or how do you handle that part?
1: There are things that can be problematic for them. In general, most animals do know what's toxic and what's not. But, you know, you have the random animal who (laughs) just eats a plant they shouldn't. But basically, the nightshade family, your tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, white potatoes, those kind of things, they do contain toxins. I have tons of people tell me that their chickens have eaten an entire tomato plant and they've been fine, which is true. I mean, toxic does not mean immediately fatal. But if a chicken is sick or weak or older or younger, it could be that the toxins affect them differently. So before I let the chickens in the garden in the fall, for example, I will pull out all the eggplant and tomato plants, and I just throw those in the woods. The chickens not eat them. They might, but I just, there's so much else for them to eat. I just like to be cautious. I don't like to take chances on things like that. I do feed them ripe tomatoes, which... Still, again, they do have a little toxin in them, but the chickens really love them. And the ripened fruit has less toxin than the leaves and the stems. You know, just something to keep in mind. But that's about, you know, the nightshade family is really the thing that can be the problem. Oh, and rhubarb. Rhubarb leaves are toxic to people as well. Never done well with rhubarb, so I can't tell you if chickens will eat it or not. I probably would fence that in a notch. I mean, that that's going to be the kind of patch that you're probably going to have away from everything else anyway, since it is, you know, sort of a perennial and just keeps coming back. So I don't think people generally keep that in their regular vegetable garden. So you might just want to keep the chickens out as the rhubarb patch.
0: And that's actually really interesting because I have, because rhubarb likes acidic soil the same as blueberries. And so I actually have companion planted my rhubarb in between my blueberry bushes so they're already uncovered and covered in the net. And I knew that rhubarb, the leaves, yes, are toxic to people, cattle, horses, all of the above. I didn't even think about keeping the chickens out of them, but thankfully it was netted. Great tip on the nightshades and just keeping those removed just to be on the safe side. The ripe tomatoes is interesting because... I had my ripe tomatoes when they were free ranging and they were the first tomatoes was waiting for them to ripe, trying to be oh so patient. And when I went out to harvest them just on the perimeter, because we have them in a off grid greenhouse where both two of the ends are open. So I can actually walk all the way through, but it protects them and keeps them a little bit warm. And on the perimeter plants, there were little pecking spots where the chickens had decided to just taste test. Just took a few bites (laughs) <laughs> but there were these little feck marks all
1: over from the chicken.
0: They were absolutely fine. But like I said, you might not want to let them gorge out or have a feast on just total tomato plants and a whole bunch of tomatoes at once. Yes, they did do a taste test and they were absolutely fine. Though I was a little perturbed with them <laughs> for getting into my tomatoes. Oh, I I bet. <laughs> yeah, they are quite comical to have out and
1: about. No, that's basically it. Like we talked about kind of fencing or cage in the things you really care about. Try to get them in during the off season and do try to free range later in the afternoon. I think you'll see a, a reduction in, in predator problems that way.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that, too, because I have actually been a little bit, I don't want to say frustrated, but disappointed is probably a better word without being able to do the free range because when they were free ranging, especially here in the springtime, when it starts to get warm and you kind of have those first couple of days where it's really hot out, we get those flying carpenter ants, those big, huge black ants that will fly and they will bite. Mm-hmm. And they just tend to Almost invade everything the first few warm days of spring. And when my chickens were free ranging, I did not have, I mean, they went hog wild crazy on those things. It was wonderful. I didn't have them crawling around and trying to get in the house and in everywhere. They were so effective at keeping those down, as well as, you know, just I noticed a reduction in bugs in a good way that were over the homestead. And so when I started pinning them up because I was worried about their safety and just letting them free range. I didn't have the bug control. So I'm going to try the afternoon and you're right, that coyote, it was out in the morning time. So I'm going to try the afternoon this year and see how that goes. So thank you for that tip.
1: You are welcome.
0: I'm actually really excited about that tip because I truly have been disappointed that I don't get a free range of because I miss that. Oh They yeah. do too. Though, yeah.
1: Right. And I mean, bugs, they are, they're huge as far as bug control goes, you know, for the ticks and mosquito larvae out of puddles. It's definitely beneficial to get them out in the lawn as much as you can. I'm surprised with your larger animals, though, that you have a problem with the coyotes. Usually, you know, larger animals hanging around will kind of dissuade them, but you must have been hungry.
0: In our neighborhood, we've got two other families that are both on adjoining properties to us that have chickens. I think what had happened was, is I do think they were hungry. I think there was a pack of them, actually. The other neighbor had let theirs free range and the coyotes had pretty much picked off their entire flock. I think they had known that it was easy and that there was these chickens. And so I think they were just starting to come over to where my chickens were because they'd already kind of decimated that flock. They could smell them and hear them and everything. And so I haven't, we haven't had as much of of that problem since we started pinning ours up and they did too. And that was a, a couple of years ago
1: you're right. Easy feed source. They're just going to hang around and keep coming back. Maybe it's been solved.
0: We have a new puppy. Well, he's almost 10 months old now. And he goes out to feed with me, but I don't let him in the coop. You know, he can see the chickens through the thing, but he doesn't get up next to him or anything like that. So you have helped train your dog. So when I go the free ranging mode, I want to make sure that they are kept safe because we do have a newer dog. Now, do you have any tips on training Him to make sure that he keeps the chickens safe and he's not a predator with the chickens himself. Do you have any tips
1: for that? And that's what we did when we got Bella. She was a baby German shepherd, and we had an older shepherd when we first got our chickens who was wonderful with them. And baby Bella was kind of a mess. I mean, she was like, you know, running the fence and she wanted to get at the chickens. We just let her spend a lot of time while they were penned up so she could see them and she could kind of get it out of their system. And then when they were out free ranging, we would bring her out on the leash. And we would do a lot of fit, stay, no, drop it, leave it. Like we made sure she knew the basic commands really, really well before we actually trusted her off the leash. And then we got one of those zapper collars and we actually put it on the pager so it would vibrate. And when she was out and the chickens were out and she was off the leash, if she kind of got fixated on them or she looked like she was gonna do something, we would just zap her and that was enough to break her concentration. And get her back listening to us. to Get her back into like a sit or a stay or whatever.
0: Okay, that is perfect. Cause we well, do have we? one of those. <laughs> he's a mutt, but he is—he's half pit bull, a quarter bull mastiff, an eighth golden retriever, and an eighth black lab.
1: Oh, so he's a bird dog. Excellent. <laughs>
0: A few times he has ran at the run out pin, which they're fully enclosed and encased in wire and stuff. And I, you know, it's been, you know, no and not that. And then he does like to just, he loves to just watch them. But I know that watching and playing can accidentally, I don't want that to turn into something else, but I love the idea of using the training collar because we do have one of those and just taking him out on the leash. And I just kind of wanted to make sure I had some steps. In place that I could follow before we do it. And so he needs to continue training on the leave it command, anyways. So we'll work some more on that and then slowly kind of introduce him, how you said. But that sounds right. like a great plan. Yeah, I'm going to try that because I would love to have them be loose and him be loose and everybody just be friends. You have to.
1: <laughs> yeah, I get so nervous when people say, Oh, our dog would kill our chickens, so the dog is never out when the chickens are. Well, that's great until somebody leaves the door open or somebody doesn't leave, realize the chickens are out or the kids have friends over and they let the dog out. I and mean, I think training them, it takes time. But like you said, then he could be out with them, guarding them. And dogs are smart. They learn really quickly. We have boundaries. People think it's funny, like when their dog will chase their duck and then the duck will chase the dog. We don't let our dogs chase them ever touch them ever they're not allowed in the coop or the run like you have to set boundaries so the dog knows the rules once they know then they're like okay
0: okay no that's good and and I feel good because I've not let him come in that he's tried to come in the coop because he just wants to follow me right. everywhere but I know I let him in and then tell him no and that type of thing good I feel like I'm on the beginning of the right path with them. So we'll just continue that training. And thanks for those tips. I think that's going to come in really handy. And I'm excited as we move into spring <laughs> to be able to work with them a little bit more outdoors. So yeah, thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. And I've got a lot of really great chips that I'm excited to implement to do it better this time while keeping my chicken safe and the puppy dog safe. So we are now on to our verse of the week, which comes from Numbers chapter 11, verse 29. And this is the amplified translation of the Bible. But Moses said to him, are you envious or jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And this was a really good verse for me that, in fact, the whole chapter Of 11, which isn't a super long chapter, but it was really good because I've been dealing with a little bit of homestead envy this past week. If any of you are on my newsletter list, then you got that email and I shared some of that with you. You know, we'll always find people that we're looking at that I feel like are better homesteaders than I am, or, you know, they're a better author than I am, or they're doing more, they're doing better. And we can start to feel inadequate and wondering. Like, are we a, are we a fraud? Are we? Can we really call ourselves a homesteader? And we can. With doing all of the interviews that I've got coming up for you guys on all the next podcast episodes in this series, every homestead is different. Every single homestead is different. Every single homesteader is doing things a little bit differently because we are all working with the property that we've got, whether we own it or we rent it with the time that we have available and the resources that we have right where we are right now. And every single homestead and homesteader is completely needed and is completely beautiful in its own unique way. So I thought this verse was really good, especially if you go back and read the whole chapter and the story that goes with it. And this is the note that I wrote in my Bible journal concerning this verse. Do not be jealous of the success or gifts the Lord gives others. Amen. Okay. I cannot wait to see you back here next week and get to share a little bit more about all the amazing stuff we have coming up. So thank you so much for joining me on this episode. We'll talk soon.